And as that song seems to imply, we are living in some difficult days. Um, you know, looking at the paper from yesterday on the front page, stock market goes down 312 points. Of course, that is just one of many drops that we've seen. And we're at the time when we start losing, as a nation, trillions of dollars. How do you lose trillions of dollars? And what do you do when you live in a society that that happens to? Uh, we live in a time where, where it's a difficult. And, and as we are, in, of course, in election time, it's brought to our attention many, many times of the state of our country and, and how if we vote for this one person that things will change for the better. And, and we know that, it, that really the answer is not found necessarily in the leaders, uh, that there is, as the song has uh, shared with us, that there is a God that does direct the courses of nations and directs the courses of kings and the hearts of a king is as water in God's hands and it can be directed as so. But, you know, it's, it's good to read in the Bible that our time is not the first of difficult times. And to see how God's people have dealt and lived in hard circumstances. I want to bring to your attention, as we're studying the book of Genesis, chapter 26. That's the next chapter we're in. And it is the only chapter that is dedicated wholly to Isaac. Isaac, in many ways, plays a transition figure between uh, Abraham and Jacob. And these two take up the bulk of the book of Genesis. And uh, they're interesting characters. But then you got this guy, Isaac, who, who's just kind of in between. But yet, we see that God, too, is working in this man's life, in this character's life. And he does so initially in difficult circumstances, in a very hard time. Remember, uh, Moses is writing this book, and he's writing to the people of Israel as they're going into uh, the Promised Land, leaving Egypt. And God is also working with the people of Israel, not just about going to the Promised Land, but also about the character of a nation. And so he brings up Isaac in the story, and there's some similarities in that God is not just working and accomplishing the purposes through Isaac, but he's working in developing the character of Isaac. And we'll see that as we study this. But even as we look at the character of Isaac, remember, Isaac is not, and, and none of the Old Testament characters are not the model of morality for us. We don't go to them and say, this is how Abraham lived, so this must be how we lived. Abraham did some good stuff. He lived and obeyed God. But he also did some bad things, and uh, what it is really, as, what, as in Isaac, are mirrors of reality. We look at these guys and think, wow, Abraham did that too? <laughs> Isaac did that too? I, I understand that. I know how that works. But the main character in this is God. In fact, the book, entire book of the Bible, a collection of books, it is the story of God's redeeming mankind throughout history. And Isaac is just the next person in that chain uh, that God uses in his story. And so as we look at this, I'm going to focus your attention more on what God is doing, whether directly or indirectly through through circumstances and providence. Uh, But nonetheless, it is God who is the moving agent, the moving one uh, in this chapter. And so consider that as we read this chapter together. And I'm going to ask that we stand in honor of what this is, being not just a story, but indeed God's word written for us. Verse 1, 
And I'm going to stop at verse 33, saving the last two verses for next week. There was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went up to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. The Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and to thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swore unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, and my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Isaac dwelled in Gerar, and the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, She is my wife, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. It came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she is thy wife. And how saidst thou, She is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this that thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lain with thy wife, and thou shouldst have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that touched this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The men waxed great and went forward and grew until it became very great. For he had possession of flocks and possessions of herds and great stores of servants and Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father, For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well, strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well, and for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth, and said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night, and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, fear not, for I am with thee, and I will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. Then Abimelech went to him from Gerar and Ahuzath, uh, one of his friends, and Pichol, the chief captain of his army. Isaac said unto him, Wherefore come ye to me, seeing that you hate me, and have sent me away from you? And they said, We saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. And he said, We said, Let there now be an oath betwixt us, be even between us and thee, and let us make a covenant with thee, that thou wilt do us no hurt, and we have not touched thee, as we have not, as we have done unto thee nothing but good, and have sent thee away in peace. But art now the bless of the Lord. And he made them a feast, and they did eat and drink. And they rose up at times in the morning and swore one to another, and Isaac sent from them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning the well which they had dug, and said unto him, We have found water. And he called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba unto this day. 
You may be seated. We get the hint of the times Isaac lived in in verse 1. It says simply, there was a famine in the land. I need to remind you what a famine does. Uh, not that we are uh, not used to droughts, but in that day and time, it meant something entirely different. This was an agricultural-based economy. The wealth of Isaac was determined, knowing in his servants, but determined by his camels, the cattle, the goats, and the sheep. The more number of those, the more wealthy he was. And so, when you have a famine, you are decreasing your wealth. It's going down. You can imagine that as each day goes by, finally, more and more of his livestock die. And you can imagine the reports that were coming in as uh, the, uh, the servants are taking toll of these things and reporting to uh, Isaac, we are 312 points down. And Isaac would have got the picture. Things have continued in this way would uh, be so that he would no longer be able to provide for his family. In fact, their family would die if they did not have the nourishment. And so that is the time that Isaac lived in. He could understand some of what you may be thinking and feeling and all the anxiety that comes in. As we read these first, verse, first few verses, all the way down to verse 4, I want you to recognize that in Isaac's life, there are two voices dictating to Isaac. This first one, first voice, uh, first voice is found right here in verse 1. It is the voice of this. Anything that endangers the promise of God. Anything that endangers my wealth. Anything that endangers my prosperity and indeed my very life. That's voice number one. You and I have that same voice in our life. Even though God has given him many promises, there is still that which we think of. You know, if this continues, if this happens, then we're going to lose it all. And days and nights are filled with anxiety and stress and worry. Because we're wondering, well, if this continues, what's going to happen to us? When we get our uh, college account statements, when we get our retirement statements coming in, and we're thinking, yeah, things are changing. And if it continues in this route, I don't know what's going to happen for the next 5, 10, 15 years in my life. And so there's that voice. And so we find that Isaac starts making a plan. Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And we get evidence, reading from the next verse, that he was planning to go all the way down to Egypt because it is there where they have cisterns, they have, uh, or not cisterns, but they have springs and they have storehouses of grain where you can buy and sell and, and still be able uh, to make money and food while you still have income. And so that's the idea. But, you know, as we read this, we're thinking, well, Pastor, you know, you must be confused because we've been with you for a few weeks and I think you've already preached this passage. I mean, you made a serious boo-boo here. We're, we're preaching the same deal. No, it does sound very familiar because the same actions are repeated. But you notice, verse 1, that the writer wants you to understand this is not the same thing, the same time as Abraham. This is a different famine. But you see the same events take place. But verses 2 through 4, you hear another voice. It is the voice of God. He says to Isaac, don't go to Egypt. 
Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land. At this time, he's living in Gerar. He's on his way. And he says, stop. Live here. I will be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to perform the oath which I gave to your father Abraham. Your descendants are going to multiply as the stars of the heaven. Descendants as all, all over this land. I'm going to give this land to you. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then it's because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes. And, and we read this and we think, okay, we've got that. Pastor, we've heard this many times. In fact, Genesis chapter 12, we see this stated. Genesis 15, Genesis 17. And really, do we need it a fourth time? I mean, really, this is getting redundant. But understand, this is Isaac's first time he heard from God. This is earth-shattering. It is encouraging to realize just as God dealt with daddy, God's going to deal with me. And these same promises, God's speaking to me and the relationship continues on. I wonder if the last time he heard the voice of God was it when he was on the altar of Mount Moriah and the knife was above him and he heard, stop, I provided a ram for you. And so he hears the voice of God again. And it's the one of blessing, it is one of encouragement, it is the voice of faith. And notice in verse 5, he says, you know, remember all of Abraham did, did allowed me to bless him. He lived a blessable life. And the implication is, Isaac, you too live a blessable life. What makes a life blessable? Well, according to this passage, is to keep the charge, the commandments, the statutes, the laws of God. But remember, Moses is writing this. Moses had the benefit of the Ten Commandments and the law of God given to the Israel. Abraham is a long time, over 400 years before Moses. So what's he talking about? The statutes, the laws. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. Well, the Bible tells us that Abraham lived by faith. And because he lived by faith, righteousness was given to him. What did he do? He believed God. When you believe God and trust in him, it's amazing how the law is accomplished. Jesus said, if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and you love others as yourself, all the commandments are, are taken care of. When you do that. And so evidently that was the kind of life Abraham lived. And as he did, his life was blessable by God. And so there's the voice of the practical, the worry, the, of all that endangers his life and blessings. And there's the voice of God. There's the voice of faith. Let's see which voice he listens to. And by the way, those two voices still speak to you today. And you live your life according to either one of those voices. So verse 6, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and sure enough, the men start asking about his wife. Hey, who is that pretty lady? Wow. Hey, Isaac, who is that? And evidently at that moment, panic just overcomes Isaac. And he goes back and he thinks back, all right, well, it's our policy when this happens. And he remembered the policy of his daddy, and he reenacts it to a T. Even the same lie. Oh, that's my sister. Well, at least when Abraham said that, it really was his half-sister. But he doesn't even have that benefit. He's just acting on tradition. But, you know, just kind of something to keep in mind here. Evidently, the events that we looked at in the previous chapter 25, the birth of Isaac, or birth of Esau and Jacob, Evidently, that's taking place after the events here in Genesis 26 because, you know, it's kind of hard to cover up a marriage when you have kids, all right? So evidently, the kids aren't there. 
which also tells me something else. The Bible, giving the chronology of Abraham, Jacob and Esau were 15 years old before Abraham died. And so it makes me think, Abraham's along with Isaac and all this. Abraham is watching this. And I wonder, is Abraham shaking his head and saying, Son, I've been down that road. Or is he still, Son, this is what I did. We don't know. But nonetheless, he is watching the sins that he did being carried out in his own son to a T. And so he tells them the lie. And uh, he says, you know what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be killed. Again, we, we have already gone over how this is a wrong act. It, it is uh, the, the woman is taking the sacrifice here for the man. We don't have mentioned here whether Rebecca goes along with this plan. In fact, there is no acknowledgement that Rebecca says this. It's only just uh, Isaac at this point in time. Uh, and so uh, things continue on in this way. And, and now it came to pass that so there had been a long time that things continue for a long time. It's not just one lie, but they are living a lie uh, in this way that Abimelech, and we think Abimelech, isn't that the same dude that Abraham was with uh, in, in Genesis 21? It is the same name. Okay, But uh, what I mentioned back then in Genesis chapter 21, and here we go again, uh, is that uh, this was a title of a position much like Pharaoh or Caesar. And so you would have multiple people that would take that same name. Uh, and so this was evidently maybe a descendant of the one in Genesis 21 that worked with Abraham. And if you want to look at those stories and find the lessons, I encourage you to go to the Internet or, or talk to our guys here and they can get a, a CD for you or a, a tape and you can get it on the Internet to, uh, to look at Genesis 21 and see the lessons that are found there. I'm not going to go in detail about all of this at this time. Uh, but nonetheless, here's something you need to understand. God orchestrated these circumstances. He allowed these circumstances to exist. Why did he do so? Here's the point. Circumstances uh, are here to reveal what's in us. The, God uses and allows these circumstances to reveal our heart. Evidently, before he ever met Abimelech, there was a sense of doubt in Isaac's life. There was a lack of belief that what God said he would do would indeed happen. He did not trust wholeheartedly. That was there before this circumstance occurred. This circumstance is here to reveal what's in your life. I remember one time I was asked, when was the last time I got angry? And, and I was thinking, you know what, I couldn't remember a time. I went all the way back to, to my childhood. And I think, man, I must have licked this deal. It's not in my heart anymore. But you know what I found out is I just didn't have opportunity. After getting married, I had kids. I had plenty of opportunity. And, and the opportunities revealed that, hey, you know what? I've got some control issues in my heart. They were always there. I just didn't realize it until opportunity was there, was given to me. And so that's what's going on here with Isaac's life. Circumstances are there to reveal what's in our life, in our heart. And what comes out is that he simply does not trust and believe God, as God said. He's not listening to voice Number two, the voice of God, the voice of faith. And so he gets caught. You know, sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is to get caught. And that's what happens here. Abimelech is watching out, looking out the window. And, and evidently, Isaac starts uh, behaving with his wife in, in a way that, that, well, brothers and sisters just don't do. 
It's kind of a play on words here when King James has the word sporting and other translations say showing endurement. But if in the Hebrew it's a play on the words with Isaac, uh, it's, in Hebrew it's kind of like Isaac was Isaacing with Rebekah. Uh, it's it's uh, the sporting member his name means laughter, but it definitely has more connotations that implies this is what men and women, our husband and, and wives do. And so Abimelech got brought things together. Says, you know what? She's not your sister. Says, what are you doing to us? What are you doing to us? Don't you understand that all of us could be ruined because of this? And then he responds and says, you know what? I've done this because I'm. I'm afraid that I'm going to get killed by your people. He reveals, I don't believe God. You ever seen uh, there's uh, student driver signs on the car? That's a sign that fear is going on, all right? If you look closely in the cab of that student driver car, you look at the driver and you see in the passenger. But if you look real close, you'll find the fears in the passenger, all right? I remember back in my days of of student driving, and I discovered that the driving instructor had their own brake. I thought, well, this is weird. You know, there's no other car that does it. They have their own brake. You know how I figured that out? (laughs) He had to use it. And he did so with a a loud voice. I said, stop! And next thing you know, my head was just being drunk uh, forward. I was like, man, you know, he's yelling at me. And... Hey, there was, I looked in, and behind the anger was fear. Why? Because for some reason, he didn't trust the driver. And he knew that he would constantly be put in a situation where he would not trust the abilities of the driver, and so he has his own brake put in. You know, it's funny how in life we do that to God. We devise our own brake. God says to go this direction, and we say, okay, fine, until we see something that looks like it may not be something that God can handle, and we put on the brakes. Isaac did it in the form of a lie. Here's my break. God, yeah, you know, you said you're going to bless me, you're going to protect me, you're going to do all these things, but you know what, just in case, I've got this little policy going on between Rebecca and myself, just in case that doesn't work out. And it becomes revealed. Understand that the times that we live in, the difficulty that's here, the hardship that you and I may go in, I'm going to say that one thing that this does and is done by God is reveal what's in your heart. Do you trust in God for your future or are we trusting in riches? Are we trusting in the power of America or is it that if America goes down and crumbles and decay in some form or fashion that our whole identity is ruined and our hope is gone? Friends, our hope is not in a country. Our hope is in God. Our hope is not in IRA. It's not in the stock market. Our hope is in God. But nonetheless, God uses these circumstances to reveal what our hope is and what's in our hearts. Well, we keep on reading and We'll find something else that occurs that God does. Abimelech says, you know what? Protect this man. Don't touch him. Don't touch his wife. He's all worried about this. He must not believe in a God that's going to take care of him. So let's just put this edict out. No one touch him. So what happens to Isaac, verse 12? And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Well, Pastor, you must skip some passages here. I mean... You know, he just lied. He's just, you know, and then you read, he sowed, 
A hundredfold came back and the Lord blessed him. What is the justice of the God? What is he doing here? How is God working in this? Now, it is quite a miracle. A hundredfold reaping in one year. That's the work of God. And that's just not something ordinary. No amount of fertilizer can do stuff like that. That's the work of God. And everybody can see that. That God's got his hand blessing on him. But here's something you need to know. Uh, as we see in verse 13, he began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. And all that's listed out, the, his investments here, verse 14. But we find in verse 14 that the prosperity becomes the, the source of, cur- of cursing in his life. What's God doing? Well, first of all, the prosperity is a, place of, a position of, uh, of cursing that occurs. But there's something else. The lie is a sin, but it's symptomatic of a deeper sin, a harder sin. And God's not just going to address the symptomatic sin. He's going to get to the root, the heart of sin. Sometimes in your life, you'll find that there's ongoing sin in your life. But if you look, it's symptomatic of a deeper sin. And it's usually what you think about God, what you believe about God as expressed not by your words, but by your actions. I mean, we can sing here, all we won't trust and obey, but it's by our actions that God sees what we truly believe. And there he finds the deeper sin. And in Isaac's life, the deeper sin was, he didn't trust God. Trust, remember, and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Well, it goes back to that. Do you believe God or not? Do you acknowledge him that God is great and so great that he can take care of you in economic woes and physical endangerments? Can God take care there? Does he have a plan? Does he have a purpose that even if we are hurt, even if we lose it all financially, that God is still working and we trust in him? And so he's going to address this deeper sin and he does so through blessing. He allows this blessing to continue. And so what happens? Well, the Philistines envied him. That's going to happen when you find that there are riches in your life and, and things uh, to be joyous about. Folks will envy you and oppose you. In verse 15, the Philistines stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Opposition begins in Isaac's life and it will continue on. And here's what we'll see. God uses opposition to redirect Isaac's heart. God uses opposition to redirect Isaac's heart. You may have people opposing you. Just understand that the enemy is not necessarily the people, their faces in front of you. That there may be, the enemy may reside within your own heart. When things don't go the way you like, it could very well be that the enemy's in your own heart. The heart of sin. And God's using opposition to, to get to this. And redirect the heart. And that's what happens in Isaac's life. We'll see it repeated. Why did they attack the wells? Well, understand that when you dig a well, you make a claim on the property. This is my land. And so when Abraham died, they said, you know what? We don't want Abraham claiming this land. Let's let's dig it up. Let's, Let's make sure that it's not claimed for him. And so they filled it with earth. Abimelech said to Isaac, you know, you just need to get away from us. You're much more mightier than me. If you continue here, it's going to escalate. Just go away. And so he goes a little bit further out to the valley of Gerar, outside in the suburbs of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of the water, uh, which they dug in the days of Abraham's father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And so we know at this point, somewhere in Gerar, evidently Abraham's died, and Esau and Jacob have been born. 
And he called them by the names which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. This is a spring. And then the herdsmen quarrel over this and say, the water's ours. And, and, and they call it Essek, that means dispute. And then it happens again. They call it opposition. Well, it says, no, that's not your well. This is our well. And so they, they attack him one after another. Now, what are they doing when they're attacking as well? Well, what, how do you feed your livestock when you don't have any water? How do you keep your, your wealth going? They are sabotaging the very source, what they believe is the source of his wealth. They didn't know it was God. They thought it was the wells. And they sabotaged that. What, you know, imagine someone who is sabotaging your investments or sabotaging your job. So you, you see that going on with Isaac. And notice how he responds. He did not quarrel over it. He said, let's just move. Fine. I'm not going to fight this thing. How did, how did he do Why didn't he just do like Abraham did one time and get 400 men and say, let's duke it out. We're going to settle this thing once for all. It seems evidently you guys are not going to stop, so I'm going to have to fight you. But he didn't. Remember, why did he dig the wells anyway? Why is he there to begin with? He's gotten the authority from God. And so he had his authority of God. He did not have to fight with men. They were subordinates to God. And so he said, okay, fine. God's going to take care of this somewhere, 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 somehow. And someday, this land's going to belong to our descendants anyway. And so he just let it go. Understand, when God grants you something, you don't have to fight for it. You don't have to defend it. If God's given you some position, you don't have to defend it. God will be your defense. He's granted it to begin with. He's going to sustain it. And so, too, in Isaac's life, he's learning these things. And and things are starting to to change in his heart, in his life. And he comes across this area, verse 22, where there's a well, and they didn't quarrel. He calls it Rehoboth. Finally, there's room for us where we can dwell with these folks, and, and we don't have to fight. So far, the determining factor in where he lived and where he moved was Is there a well, and is there a quarrel? If there is a well, great. If there's no quarrel, great. Now we can stay. But if there's a quarrel, we've got to move. If there's no well, we can't stay. And those are the determining factors on how he makes his decisions. But notice something. In Rehoboth, verse 22, he's got all that. Verse 23. But then he went up from there to Beersheba. Why? Did he move? Was there a quarrel? No. Did the well dry up? No. What's going on? We were finding out that there's something happening in Isaac's life and how he makes decisions. Something's changing. What on earth is changing? Well, he goes to Beersheba. Why did he go to Beersheba? It doesn't say right here in this passage, but remind you, let me remind you, Beersheba was the place that Abraham went to in Genesis 22 after the Mount Moriah experience where he offered up Isaac and God provided a ram there. He went down and stayed in Beersheba. It was there in Beersheba where Abraham got word of his wife's death, evidently, and then he buried her. And so that was a place of special memory for Isaac and his father, a place of, of reflecting after worship in a, in a powerful way. And he goes to Beersheba, and there God evidently sees something in his decision-making that he rewards him and speaks to him in verse 20, 24. The Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. Why did he have to tell them that? Because evidently he was fearing. Do not fear 
for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Now notice verse 25. This, I believe, reveals the change that's going on in Isaac's life. Remember, every time up to now, is there a well, is there a quarrel? Verse 25, he doesn't look for a well first. Instead, he builds an altar. He builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. His priorities change. You know what? I don't know if there's a well here that works. I don't know about the quarrels, but I know God, no God is with me. And so the very first thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to make this decision based on economics. I'm not going to do this based on turmoil. I'm going to do this based on the presence of God. And I'm going to worship God here. And what's the next thing he does? He builds or he pitches his tent. In other words, this is my home. I don't know if there's water yet, but there is the presence of God here. There is a place where I can worship, and I'm going to set up home here. Every once in a while, I come across couples uh, that just bless my heart. I, I, they're, they're new in the area, and we find out about them. I try to uh, visit them or talk to them. And, and they say, you know, every once in a while I come across someone that says, you know what, we, we had to move because of our job, and, and uh, we're not in a permanent residence yet, but we're just in a temporary place. And, and we, wanted, we wanted a church that we can worship at. And so we came. We didn't wait five years, two years, four years. You know, it's like the very first weeks that they're there. They come to church, and they worship, and they say... Uh, when we find the church that God wants for us, where we can worship the Lord, then we're going to find a house. I love that. That's tremendous. And that's what Isaac seems to be doing here. He's like, this is a place where I can worship. Then I'm going to set my home around here. And to make the priorities. Then, verse 25, there Isaac's servants dug a well. Isn't that interesting, the order of things here? The place of intimacy, the place of worship, the place of communion with God is the place where I'm going to dwell and live. And there we may be assured of God's provision for our needs. Material things are thus considered last, while spiritual needs are primary. That reminds me of something in Matthew chapter 6. I mean, in fact, let's just turn to Matthew chapter 6 for just a little bit. Because I, I think this just speaks in a powerful way to what's going on in, in Isaac's life right here. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Preached on this several years ago, two or three years ago. If you go to verse 19, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, for moth and rust doth corrupt, thieves break through and still. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust nor corrupt. Doth corrupt and where thieves do not break in through still. And I would say that inflation doesn't take away. The stock markets do not crash. And houses values do not plummet. And jobs are not lost. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Does it make sense to invest your heart there? And then it goes on. It says in verse 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he hate the one and love the other. Or else he can hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, and what shall you eat, or what shall you drink, and are yet for your body, what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather their barns, yet somehow God takes care of them, feeds them. Are you not much more value to God than birds? 
Which of you can, by worrying, can even grow and, and change one thing by growing? Or by worrying? So consider the flowers. The lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If God clothes these flowers that last just a second in time, brief amount of time, how much more would he clothe us, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or whether all shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. In other words, folks who don't believe in God worry and stress about these things. But you have a heavenly Father who knows these and knows that you have need of all these things. In verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Keep that in mind. Get back to the story of Isaac. Isaac worships God. He sends out his servants to dig a well. Meanwhile, verse 26, the old guy Abimelech comes back into the story. Seeks him out, goes to Beersheba from Gerar. Isaac says, essentially, why are you here? Why are you come? Don't you hate and despise me? You send me away. Verse 28, he says, essentially, you know what? God's got his hand on you. He's seen them oppose and try to sabotage Isaac. There was no sabotaging Isaac because his source of blessing was not found in wells. It was found from God. He says, you know what? We can't beat you. So please, let me join you. You've got the hand of God in your life. Let's have an oath between us. You are now blessed of the Lord. Verse 30, 31, so they made a feast. Part of way to commence this oath. Swore an oath one another. Came to pass. Now listen. After all this, then the servants came back and said, we have found water. We have found water. He says, let's call this Beersheba again. Let's rename this well again, Beersheba, the well of oath. Undoubtedly referring to the oath between him and Abimelech, but even more so the oath between God and him. Here is what Isaac would tell you. See, you know what? I was worried about Abimelech. I was worried about all the people. I tried my own ways. I listened to the voice of these things that says that my life was in danger and I responded in a, out of my flesh, out of a practical, pragmatic way. But then I started listening to the voice of God and I decided I was going to acknowledge God above my fears, above the practical. And I worshiped God. I set up my tent. And then I sent guys out to dig a well, trusting God that he would take care of my needs. And then what do you know, the very folks that I was afraid of came and made an oath with me. You know, here's what I'm going to tell you, what Isaac would say. Before there was a Mount of Olives and Jesus teaching on that Mount of Olives, he said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. You need a well? Build an altar first. You need peace? With the people around you, make sure you have peace with God first. And watch how God can establish peace. Whenever there's problems between people, there is at the root. Now listen, anytime there's problem with people, there is at the root a problem with God. There is a spiritual problem. Was so with Isaac, so with Abimelech. And God wasn't going to deal with the problems with people until 
he, he allowed, in fact, he allowed those problems to fester and recycle and recycle until Isaac got his heart right with God and said, I'm going to build an altar first and put him first. And it's funny how the problems with people just went away. He was all worried about the things of this world, but who was worried about the things of God's world, the things of this world would have been taken care of by the one who created this world. Philip Brooks said, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for equal task to your power. Pray for power equal to your task. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourselves at the riches of life which has come to you by the grace of God. That's a beautiful prayer. Let's pray that together. God, may you deed be God. Let's seek God first. Circumstances reveal a lot about our heart. Times of fear, times of economy, times of transition, times of sickness. There's times of turmoil. It reveals our heart. And you think, I don't like what's in my heart. But it's okay. God can change your heart. He may use opposition. He can use anything you want to change your heart. And seek him first. Get your life right with God first. Watch how God deals with it. Let's pray.